0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast Studio in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today's 25 September 2022, and I'm glad to be um, delivering to you um, my Membrane Biochemistry Lecture 58. Yes, 58. So let's get into it. This was going to be fun because it's going to be. Um, A couple of new topics which I've been wanting to develop, and uh, I'm hoping the audience uh, agrees that it's going to be an interesting talk. So here we go. Now, um, first of all, just to lay out the groundwork of the um, massive amount of molecular species diversity in specific biological membranes. So, for example, there are four classes. Of glycerophospholipids found in typical neural membranes. Now you have one two dieyl glycerol phosphate uh, phospholipids. You have one alkyl one prime enol, two acyl glycerol phospholipids. those are also known as plasmalogens. and you have one alkyl two acyl glycerol phospholipids. Now all those have a glycerol backbone. With a fatty acid usually unsaturated at the second carbon and some kind of phosphorylated base. Could be choline, ethanolamine, serine, and acetal. That's at carbon three of the glycerol moiety. Now, the fourth class, which is very important structurally and functionally in neural membranes, is sphingomyelin. Various types of sphingomyelin, but you know that's going to have as its backbone ceramide, and that's linked to phosphonylcholine through the primary hydroxyl group. Now, these glycerophospholipids that you find in neural membranes are absolutely necessary for stability to maintain membrane fluidity and to control membrane permeability. They're also required for the specific integral membrane proteins, including G-protein coupled receptors and voltage-gated channels, <clears throat> calcium transporting systems, um, glute transporters, those kinds of proteins, but also uh, the receptors that are involved just in signal transduction cascades. Now, keep that in mind and remember that when I said one two diacylglycerols or 1-alkyl-1-prime-enol-2-acyl, one one or 1-alkyl-2-acyl. And even in the schwengomylan, we did not discuss what fatty acid was there, uh, but it can differ tremendously from very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids to saturated fatty acid like steroid. So that means there are different molecular species of those four classes. <clears throat> and those molecular species will then further give you a larger family of the potential for glycerophospholipids just in the neural membrane. So unlike the structures of DNA, RNA, and polypeptides, the structure of the macromolecular membrane is far more diverse in the components, uh, the limit components uh, specifically of the uh, glycerophospholipid classes. And so sometime I will dig deeper into that And I will definitely do it on a video because I want you to see these structures. So now, in terms of glycerol itself, keep in mind that you have to import glucose. And glucose can be converted after phosphorylation to glucose 6-phosphate. And then through glycolysis, the glycerol 3 phosphate to pyruvate. And then, depending on the cell type, all the way to lactate, via lactate dehydrogenase. Or pyruvate, as we've mentioned before, obviously is decarboxylated to acetyl CoA or carboxylated to oxaloacetic acid. That occurs in the mitochondrion. Condensation of acetyl CoA with OAA gives you citrate, and that runs the first series of reactions for the TCA cycle. TCA cycle, you know, is ultimately going to generate many interpleurotic intermediates, such as alpha ketoglutarate. And uh, malate, as well as OAA. And they're going to all have different fates besides simply uh, running the TCA cycle. You know also that the mitochondrion is going to be generating bioenergetically ATP, usually through the electron transport chain. And the electron transport chain often can become dysregulated even during normal physiological consequences, which means it's going to generate reactive oxygen. The reactive oxygen is going to have to be removed over time, or it will degenerate membrane lipids, as well as, of course, nucleic acids and polypeptides. Now, glucose 6-phosphate can be converted to dihydroxyacetone phosphate after the aldolase reaction. And DAP can be converted to glycerol 3-phosphate. Now, glycerol-3-phosphate can enter lipogenesis by loading up free fatty acid in the 1-2-3 position after removing the phosphate and making triacylglycerol. That same triacylglycerol can be lipolytically degraded in the cell to regenerate free fatty acid. So you have intermediates in these pathways that can be used for multiple Phosphoglycerolipid, sphingolipid, neutral lipid pathways. Now, the glycerol-3-phosphate um, can be converted to glycerol by a glycerol-3-phosphate phosphatase. Likewise, glycerol can be converted to glycerol-3-phosphate via a kinase. And glycerol can enter the cell via an aquaporin membrane. Now more detail here about the specifics. You know that dihydroxyacetone phosphate can be converted to glyceraldehyde 3 phosphate via a triose phosphate isomerase. It doesn't have any known cofactors or regulation except simply the relative concentrations of substrates and products. So it's really reversible. The delta G naught prime of that is actually a positive 0.76 kilojoule per mole. Now, how does that fit in with the rest of this whole synthetic pathway? I just told you that glycerol after kinase reaction makes glycerol 3-phosphate, which will make lipids. Now, glycerol 3-phosphate can also be converted to dihydroxyacetone phosphate via a glycerol 3-phosphate dehydrogenase, which is a membrane-bound enzyme. That enzyme requires the reduction of FAD to FADH2 Which then requires the ubiquinone, ubiquinone, ubihydroquinone electron transport chain conversion to resynthesize FAD. Glycerol 3 phosphate can also be converted via cytosolic glycerol 3 phosphate dehydrogenase um, to dihydroxyestone phosphate. And then the reverse of that can also occur, where DHAP can be converted to glycerol 3 phosphate. By using NADH as the reducing equivalent to turn the ketone into the uh, alcohol. One more thing can happen um, glycerol can be converted directly to dihydroxyacetone. And the dihydroxyacetone can then be phosphorylated by its own kinase and then re enter that cycle. So that's just the production of glycerol 3 phosphate, which is the backbone of the glycerol phospholipids. So you can see there's many potential pathways that link directly and indirectly into primary metabolism, that's the TCA cycle, et cetera, but also into bioenergetics and reducing equivalents. Electron transport chain, levels of NADH and NAD, and all of the different um, potential sources of the production of NADH either beta oxidation of fatty acids, which can occur, of course, which will make NADH as well as FADH2, or you can also make NADH directly from glycolytic pathways and then move the reducing power into the mitochondria. So you get the idea of all these potential uh, interactions, okay? Now, the mitochondrial proteome that we've been emphasizing this all these lectures actually has of polypeptides that are largely encoded by the nuclear genome. Of course, these transcripts are synthesized in the nucleus. They are processed and collated and spliced if they go through a splicing reaction, enter into the cytoplasm or the endoplasmic reticulum where they will then be translated either on polyribosomes in the cytoplasm or on ribosomes in the rough ER and where they're often then after synthesized as polypeptides are further covalently modified via glycosylation, acylation, et cetera. Anyways, those proteins, either synthesized from polyribosomes or ER ribosomes, can also then be transported across the outer mitochondrial membrane are where, where they are then sorted and ultimately transported perhaps to the inner mitochondrial membrane or all the way into the mitochondrial matrix and that's where many of the enzymes in the ETC TCA beta oxidation etc and those two latter destinations will occur. So mitochondrial dysfunction obviously is something that is of uh, highest priority to main uh, to to inhibit because when you have mitochondrial dysfunction, you're gonna end up with a great number of metabolic diseases and pathophysiologies. So mitochondrial dysfunction is indeed a common feature of many, many well-described medical disorders, but you also have primary or selective mitochondrial dysfunction. And that, when that occurs, you find it in the liver and the lung and the kidney and the central nervous system, in the uh, cardiac muscle, all of those systems, all those organ systems require functional mitochondria. So when you have so-called mitochondrial diseases, often they are presented uh, in the literature because of presentation in the clinic uh, as specific organ failure. Now, Here's where some new detail comes in. All that should just be review, I know. There's a protein which has kind of a very bizarre name. It's called Tavazin, and its shortened name is Taz, T-A-Z. Again, you know that a geneticist named that gene because no good card-carrying biochemist, certainly not a lipid biochemist, would use such silly terms. Now, what Taz is, what I call it, is a cardiolipin maturase enzyme. And what that means, it's going to add linoleic acid. Now, linoleic acid is an essential fatty acid in the diet. It's an omega 6, 18 carbons, two double bonds. The double bonds are the 9 and 12 position of the fatty acid. That makes it an omega 6. So, Tavazin or TAS or cardiolipin maturase adds linoleic acid from preformed phosphatidylcholine and sometimes other membrane lipids, adding that linoleic acid from preformed PC to a monolysocardiolipin, also known as MLCL. Now you make MLCL after phospholipase A2, hydrolysis of the fatty acid from the two position. And then you're going to have what is known as an immature cardiolipin. Right? So, MLCL after PLA2, you generate that fatty acid from what was an immature cardiolipin, meaning it no, it it did not yet, it didn't have at that point before the phospholipase A2 and then the TAZ reaction, the actual mature cardiolipin, which has linoleic acid in the two position. Okay. Now we're not done, of course. That's just a discussion of some of the basics. But I want you to know about the TAs enzymes, because we're going to get into it a little bit now. The synthesis of cardiolipin, sensi stricter, we talked about already. <clears throat> but I'm going to remind you: glycerol three phosphate picks up two fatty acids from from acyl CoAs to make PA or phosphatidic acid. Now, phosphatidic acid will react with cytosine triphosphate, that's a ribonucleotide, CTP, uh, via the reaction, CDP, disoglycerol, synthase one. Yes, there are more than one isoform. So, CTP goes to PPI, and phosphatidic acid goes to cytidine diphosphate DAG, or cytidine diphosphate disoglycerol. Now, that intermediate will react with another molecule of glycerol-3-phosphate. And that reaction is PGP synthase because you're making phosphatidoglycerol phosphate. So phosphatidoglycerol phosphate will be converted to phosphatidylglycerol via a phosphatase. Um, so, you CDP diacylglycerol plus glycerol 3 phosphate. The reaction PGP synthase, PGP synthase 1, will produce uh, CMP, acetylene monophosphate, and phosphatidylglycerol phosphate. Now, the phosphatidylglycerol phosphate will then be converted via that phosphatase to phosphatidylglycerol. Phosphatoglycerol will then react with another molecule of glycerol 3 phosphate via the cardiolipin synthase, and you will make what's known as, in quotation marks, immature cardiolipin. Cardiolipin will then be matured first by using that cardiolipin deacylase or phospholipase A2 to make the monolyso cardiolipin, that's when <coughs> the TAS enzyme will make the mature cardiolipin, okay? <coughs> All right, so you got that pathway, sorry for the coughing. Now, TAS deficiency obtains structural distortions in mitochondria. <coughs> in the human inborn error metabolism, Known as the Barth syndrome. And this um, TAS deficiency, making these structural distortions, will include a dysfunction of complex three function in the electron transport chain. <clears throat> so, at, abnormal cardiolipin remodeling, which is the result of the TAS deficiency, will lead to a destabilization of mitochondrial inner membrane protein complexes obviously you will then corrupt the respiratory chain now this has been shown in the Barth syndrome patients to have lymphoblasts which are inefficient in generating ATP and they have these alterations in cardiolipin so, so it turns out Barth syndrome is actually a deficiency of TAS, that enzyme It specifically is a maturase, making it mature. That means the linoleic acid in the two-position of the glycerol backbone, the mature cardiolipin, which is necessary for for mitochondrial um, function. Now, in the drosophila flight muscle, where this has also been looked at, the actual amount of F1, F0 ATP synthase dimers in the inner mitochondrial membrane, where this occurs, Is also greatly reduced in TAS deficient mitochondria. And those are also locations where there's high curvature because of the alteration of the structure of the cardiolipin. And the high curvature and the altered cardiolipin structure also is responsible, apparently, for an associated increase in reactive oxygen. Okay, so you can see where there's multiple ways you can develop a pretty severe disease. Now, a systemic deletion of TAS in a murine model results in significant embryonic and perinatal lethality. While late embryonic deletion, specifically in the heart muscle, results in adult onset dilated cardiomyopathy without any evidence of cardiac myocyte cell hypertrophy. So obviously this can be used as a model for human dilated cardiomyopathy. Now, systemic deletion of of TAS, uh, that maturase enzyme also revealed that the male, and only the male TAS K-O mice, that's the knockout mice, they're sterile. And you get a global loss uh, of germ cell meiosis. And that's demonstrated by a reduced abundance of round spermatids and the near absence of fully functional elongated spermatids. So, losing that cardiolipin, mature cardiolipin, will completely corrupt male um, fertility. And it will alter the structure of the spermatid. Now, the Barr syndrome also in humans preferentially affects males now that result was unexpected but when you look at the mouse model maybe you're getting an idea that male infertility itself is not necessarily associated with barth syndrome in humans might have more to do with simply the corruption of the mitochondrial um, capacity and function right all right now There's another enzyme we need to talk about. This is a protein tyrosine phosphatase. That's correct. Now, this is coming from a paper published way back in 2011. And I'm not going to make any excuses because you know that older papers are necessary to generate a complete um, architectonic of biochemical literature. And that's what we do here at Authentic Biochem. So, PTPMT1 which is a protein tyrosine phosphatase localized to the mitochondrion isoform one was identified as a protein phosphatase and it has a protein phosphatase like mechanism as the protein phosphatase is known as the P10s, which we've covered in previous lectures. Now that's highly conserved in all eukaryotic lineages. Um, So this protein, as I just said, is mitochondrially localized. And it's actually anchored in the inner mitochondrial membrane along with the electron transport chain. right? So that phosphatase domain actually is uh, oriented to the matrix or the mitosol of the mitochondria. Let me check my time here real quickly. Oh, yeah, we're doing fine. Okay. So... You know, we got this phosphatase now with the phosphatase activity uh, oriented to the cytosol or the mitosol, excuse me, of the mitochondria, okay? But here's the thing. Disruption of the PTP-M2-MT1 will interfere with the function of the mitochondria leading to an inhibition almost completely of mitochondrial oxygen consumption, respiration. You get a severe reduction in the ETC, and you also get that concomitant distortion of mitochondrial morphology, tremendous amount of excessive curvature. Now the knockout of that enzyme, ptpmt one in a mouse model, as we've already mentioned, with the TAS, similar kite, you're gonna get early embryonic death. Not going to make it through gestation. Now, <laughs> what all those observations suggested to these people uh, publishing this paper in 2011 is that PTPMT mt one is necessary universally so for normal embryogenesis and probably cellular, uh, let's just say bioenergetics in the murine model. Now, even though PTP-MT1 is a phosphatase. It's it's got a those kind of phosphatases are called DSPs, by the way. DSP simply means dual specificity phosphatase. And so you get why this phosphatase is necessary for something beyond just removing phosphate from polypeptides, right? So you have protein tyrosine phosphatases, but those enzymes, these DSP type of the PTPs, have a very shallow catalytic pocket. When you look at the 3D structure. So, actually, when they generate phylogenetic trees and look at these phospho, uh, uh, phosphatase domains in the human DSPs, you find out that the PTPMT1 human um, doesn't die dephosphorylate proteins very well. So, those proteins that normally dephosphate, uh, proteins that are in that family are MAP kinase phosphatases, or MKPs. So it looks like really the human ptp one has very poor phosphoprotein phosphatase activity. Now, <clears throat> there are only trace amounts of phosphatidonacetyl-5-phosphate in mitochondria. And so that's actually a common substrate used in vitro to measure the dual form of activity of a ptpmt one So the fact that PI5-phosphate isn't this endogenous substrate anyways, we know this also because of very low levels in the mitochondria, so it wouldn't be likely to be a substrate. Other targets for the phosphatase activity of the mitochondrial ptpmt one in humans were examined and one of them was phosphatidylglycerol phosphate now remember that is the precursor right to cardiolipin now if you look at the two lipids actually if you look at pi and uh, pi5 phosphate and phosphatidylglycerol phosphate their structures in three dimensions look very very similar even though you have a different sugar structure. You have inositol with the hexose versus the glycerol, right? But they look very similar in 3D. Now, remember, phosphatidoglycerol phosphate in the presence of ptpmt one will make PG, and PG then can be used in cardiolipin synthase to make the immature form. Now, what I'm going to tell you now is that there are very interesting um, amino acid loop structures in the enzyme. And one of them is an the E-E-Y-E loop. And that E-E-Y-E stands for the amino acid. So that means glutamate, glutamate. Uh, and the Y of course is tyrosine Then another glutamate. That's a conserved region that seems to be necessary for the involvement of being a phosphatase of lipids. Okay. I'll just give you that as a little hint. You don't need to really worry about that too much more. I just gave you that as a as something about the protein structure that you need to know, okay? Now, let's just try to finish this off. Let me look at my time again. I'm sorry, I have to go back and look at it. Oh, I only got two minutes. Okay, quick, quick, quick. Remember that mitochondria constantly adapt to metabolic needs. We talked a lot about this. In fact, T-cells are no different. T-cells modulate metabolism, usually for carbon source between fatty acid or glucose. And we talked about this in the past, but also antigen-driven signals will alter T-cell maturation. And what this paper in 2020 showed is that de novo synthesis of mitochondrial cardiolipin um, is a a system that requires um, CD8-positive T-cell Functionality. That functionality, excuse me. So, you need a coherent cardiolipin synthesis in the, in, the, in the mitochondria of CD8 positive T cells for them to function correctly in becoming T effector cells. So, T cells deficient in that PTPMT1 have reduced cardiolipin sensus strictly, full stop and they respond poorly to antigen, and it's believed that's because basal cardiolipin levels are not attained. Okay, so isn't that interesting? And so there's another story here that associates with TAS, which I don't have time to cover right now. No, I only got a minute left, and that's going to take about five minutes. So now they got a really interesting idea here about simple mitochondrial cardiolipin biosynthesis, simple meaning you would thought that, okay, you make this, basically cardiolipin is a diphosphatidoglycerol, right? Uh, You would think that'd be a pretty straightforward thing. Now I'm telling you it's not. There are very unusual enzymes that incorporate very specific fatty acids for very specific molecular species of cardiolipin. And not only that, you also have a very unique phosphatase enzyme that's necessary for generating phosphatidoglycerol in the mitochondria to make cardiolipid. Yes. So this gives you more detail about membrane biochemistry. And this is Sunday afternoon. So that's perfect, right? Good thing to talk about over dinner. If you happen to be in the time zone, if it's already late, you can dream about it. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest in the late afternoon on the 25th of September, 2022, saying bye for now. And thank you for listening.